Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. This isn't really anything new. This is a policies and rules and procedures for when people cross the border. These have been in place for, the, for a long time. The only thing different is the Trump administration has this novel idea that, hey, we're going to enforce the laws we have on the books. We're going to enforce <laughs> immigration policy. Exactly. And so they're being tough on it because they don't want to incentivize more people to come illegally. <laughs> And Dr. Daryl Scott is on Twitter and he tweeted out, once the midterms are over, liberals won't talk about detained or separated illegal immigrant children again until 2020. It's all politics. <laughs> I, I have to agree. This was happening under President Obama and President Clinton and President Bush. Yeah, nobody cared. Kids were actually in cages in the Obama administration. Nobody cared. All of a sudden, people not only care, but they want you to care. They want you to stop looking at all the successes of the Trump administration and start talking about, uh, well, uh, yeah, asylum claims. And what's the difference and who cares? Because I'm just glad I get to hold my nugget as Essie Cup tweeted out. I'm just glad I get to be with my child. Really? Have you committed a crime? Because it's pretty routine for people to be separated from their kids once they've committed a crime. Ask any person who's ever been to, the, to jail in the United States. They don't say hey, how can we keep you and your family united while you serve out your term? No, they're just like, um, so you have arrangements for your family then. They don't even ask. They're just like, you just do it. Just get on up in here. Your arraignment is now. Your time, your sentencing is now. Your reporting date is, you know, that's it. That's it. This is so fake. It's not even fake like in a cool way. It's just fake, fake. And, and not even, it doesn't make sense. So, then you have, after Secretary Nielsen did the briefing yesterday, you had Sarah Huckabee Sanders commence the actual press briefing, which they seem to think is their right. They don't understand it's a privilege for them to have an on-camera briefing with the press secretary. She doesn't have to have it on camera. And they now have this really nasty attitude towards her. They, they no longer veil their disdain for her. They hate her. They openly show that they hate her. They want her gone. They want a new person that they can break down and mock and tear into. And I just pray that she's standing against this and that she feels strong and, and on the inside, she's bolstered enough to continue on doing her work because she's effective. And that's why they want her out of there. So she's approaching the podium. She begins the briefing. And uh, I think it's Jeff Zeleny. I'm not sure who it is, but he's, he's so rude. It's number seven. Jeff, Jeff, and I'll, I'll take your question since uh, you and your network falsely accused me of not wanting to be here. So I'll be glad to uh, pass that question on to you now. Why did you decide to have Secretary Nielsen uh, answer questions instead of you? I, I'm here answering questions as well, but I thought it was important uh, for the secretary uh, and one of the primary experts on this uh, process and the things that are going on to come out here and have the chance to speak to you and for you guys to be able to ask questions directly of her uh, and the leaders in this administration. But I'm, I'm standing here in front of you. Exactly. Which, you know. Uh, I mean, how much more can she do? How? What else can she do to prove that she's willing to do her job except come there? If the subject is border security or the handling of asylum applicants and illegal aliens entering the country between border ports, then why wouldn't she call for Secretary Nielsen to come and take that, that subject on? It is routine for people who are professionals to call subject matter experts to answer questions in their wheelhouse. It does not mean they don't want to do their jobs. It means they don't want to misrepresent other areas that they are not in charge of. The press secretary speaks on behalf of the Trump administration, but specifically the president of the United States. The questions that she answers are usually tailored to the president said this statement does he have a policy on that? Yada, yada, yada. Over and over again, they ask about things that the president has said or tweeted. They even want her to say how he feels. How does the president feel about this? How does the president feel about that? Which is extraordinarily unprofessional because the feelings of the president are irrelevant. It is his actions and his policy directions that, in, that, that matter to his governance. But yet they still persist. So I kind of felt like not only that... 
obviously that's worth us discussing, but it's worth pointing out because if they had something real that they wanted to discuss with Sarah Huckabee Sanders, that was real policy other than asking rude questions, you're a mom. Why don't you dislike this policy? She doesn't have to have a actual feeling on any policies that emanate out of the Trump administration. Her job is not feelings of Sarah Huckabee Sanders for the Trump administration. Her job is press secretary for the Trump administration. Huge difference. So she might hate a policy that the president takes up. She might love it and think about it all night and have little pictures of it up in her cubicle at work. What matters is that she accurately represent what the president has said. That's it. What, what the policies that he's put forward, where he is at any given time, where he, things he's signed into law, will sign into law, positions he's about to take, things that, that it's just business. It's business. And we all know that liberals will work on projects and represent causes that they don't agree with because we have the WikiLeaks cables to prove that to us. How many of them didn't agree with the Democrats going against school choice, especially Donna Brazil? Well, I don't see how we can help inner city families get into schools that educate their kids if we're going to go against school choice. But I guess we have to kowtow to the NEA. I mean, it's just amazing that they do that. They actually duplicitously represent organizations that they don't agree with. But if Sarah Huckabee Sanders is doing her job, we have to hear about how she feels because she's a mom and she has kids. No, we don't. Not only do I not want to hear it, not because I don't care about her and her kids because it has nothing to do with her job. It has nothing to do with her job and I don't want to hear about it. That's it. And I know I'm not alone in that. Most Americans don't give two hoots about what any of these people feel about the policies. What we want to know is, first of all, what exactly did Donald Trump promise to do when he was in the campaign trail? Now that he's the president of the United States, what is he doing? We know what the Democrats are doing, but what is President Trump doing? And then after we look at what he's doing, the question is, okay, okay, so now he's doing something he said he was going to do. Now let's see how he's going to rally Congress around this and see if we can get some legislation that actually makes sense. Now I know yesterday on the show we were talking about, you know, the compromises that have to be made on immigration and how it's only a good bill if, you know, everybody's mad, feels like they made huge concessions. And I kind of agree with that and I kind of don't. You know, I, I agree that um, it, compromise means everybody has to take something they don't want. But the Democrats didn't act that way when they were ramming through Obamacare. They didn't bother to check with any Republicans to make sure that there was you know, compromise and people, somebody wasn't getting what they wanted. They just made it happen. And I feel like it's that kind of force that has to be reckoned with, with the Democrats, that we have to put through an immigration package that benefits the American people, regardless of what the Democrats want. And it's not about getting a compromise out of them. It's about getting enough of them to sign on to it, whether they want to or not, because they have to, because the midterms are coming and they can't be seen as doing nothing about this issue. Donald Trump's approval rating with Republicans is through the roof. It's the highest it's ever been. So he doesn't have to worry about rank and file Republicans not turning out for the midterms unless he does something crazy, like sign some immigration package that has a whole bunch of amnesty in it. That will depress Republican turnout. I believe the president is quite aware of that and that he is acting accordingly. But I don't want us to get you know, in, in, the, in, in the weeds where we feel like we have to make these compromises in order to get something. We don't need just something. We need, we need true reform. Loopholes eliminated and closed, et cetera, et cetera. So um, there's been a, a lot of discussion about it, um, as specifically from overseas in, in Europe. They're having their own discussions about what to do Councilor, the, the prime minister of Germany, Angela Merkel, is facing a very difficult time in her government because of the same issue, migrants. Um, so there's some information from Germany that I think is relevant for us to look at because we don't actually track numbers this way, but we should. 
there uh, over on the Free Beacon, they have a story up about one, almost 1,000 people injured and killed in terrorist attacks by refugees. One in three chance Germany will be a target country in future plots. There's a four-year span they're talking about. And Germany, remember, Germany is not like America where they have 300 million people. They have uh, under 90 million people total for the whole country. The entire country is about the same size as Montana, landmass size. They have had nearly 1,000 people injured or killed in terrorist attacks involving refugees over a four-year span. That is an astronomical number for a country of under 90 million people. The Heritage Foundation actually released the report on Monday. They collected data from 194 terrorist plots detected across Europe between January 2014 and December of 2017. And it points to a more than one in three chance that Germany will be a target country in future terror plots. 32 of those terrorist plots involved refugees or asylum seekers. 41% of all plots occurred in Germany. France was the second most targeted country with Belgium and the UK trailing closely behind. The report came as German Chancellor Angela Merkel faces the threat of her government collapsing over its open-door policy towards the migrants. Critics say this policy has left the country more vulnerable to terrorism and Germany is still struggling to absorb the 1.4 million asylum seekers who arrived three years ago, primarily from Syria, Afghanistan, and Iraq. Now imagine, because 1.4 million is almost the population of the greater metropolitan St. Louis area. So imagine the population of this entire metropolis here where I live being absorbed into Montana. Can you imagine the kind of upheaval there would be there? Well, it wouldn't be that bad because we're all Americans. But that would be 1.4 million Americans just descending on Montana, which is actually one of our least populated states. But landmass-wise, it would still be a significant thing. 1.4 million people, that's a significant tax on your infrastructure. That's a strain on your educational systems because these people don't speak German. I mean, we're talking about a massively idiotic mistake that she made saying, yep, we'll just bring them on in because we can't be seen as being from our past. We were Nazis and we were genocidal and we can't be, we can't be like that anymore. And so she just makes this decision. It's like, you know, what was she thinking? So Robin Simcox, who is a terrorism and national security analyst at Heritage, is quoted as saying, it's not as if the Islamist terrorism threat appeared with the Germany refugee flow. Of course, there were plots there in the past, but the scale has transformed entirely since Merkel's decision to open the borders. The amount of plots that Germany faced after the 2015 refugee flow just increased exponentially. And when you look at the perpetrators behind those plots, more often than not, they're recent arrivals to the country, and there's very often a Syria component to it. So practitioners of Islam recently in the country, blowing stuff up, running people over with lorry trucks, and overall causing mayhem. The report found that 15 Syrian jihadists who plotted attacks over the past four years, of the 15, 12 were involved in operations targeting Germany. Simcox recommends that Europe take immediate steps to more quickly deport migrants who have been denied asylum particularly given that nearly three-quarters of attack, um, attackers were asylum seekers who either were committed, uh, they actually committed an attack, or they were planning attack, plotting it, and had it thwarted within two years of their arrival. So they're literally just getting there, and they, as soon as they arrive, they start plotting an attack. Oh, my goodness. So the issue became clear in Germany in December of 2016 after police missed multiple opportunities to arrest Anis Amri before he drove a truck through a Christmas market in Berlin, killing 12 people. The Tunisian national who pledged allegiance to the Islamic State was awaiting deportation when he carried out the attack. He remained in Germany because he didn't have a valid trans uh, passport. Wow. So when President Trump says we're not going to be a migrant camp, he's... He's got our safety in mind. Let's put aside our animus towards him personally and consider the fact that he's actually trying to protect Americans. Come on. We'll be back with Joseph Tartaskovsky right after this.
Hi, I'm Will Addison. And I'm Miki Addison of Aaron the Addisons on Urban Family Talk. Family is so important to everything. I mean, think about it. Right after God created Adam, he made family by creating Eve as his wife. We'd like to invite you to the Marriage, Family, and Life Conference this summer. We have a full slate of experts to help encourage and equip the body of Christ to fight for the restoration of the family. Our speakers include Ryan Bomberger of the Radiance Foundation, Dr. Clarence Schuler of Building Lasting Relationships, Abraham Hamilton III, Pastor Burt Harper and his wife Jan, and more. We'll even be there. The Marriage, Family, and Life Conference will be Friday and Saturday, August 17th and 18th at Hope Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Come help us fight back against the enemy's direct attack on marriage and family. That's the Marriage, Family, and Life Conference put on by Urban Family Communications, a division of the American Family Association. You can learn more and register at urbanfamilytalk.com. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. When our children were small, they had a hamster. That little critter was quite rambunctious. Truthfully, Karen and I found him a bit of a nuisance. He would get out of his cage and the search was on. We always found him, usually by luring him with food. But the last time he got out of the cage, we weren't so fortunate. We looked everywhere, and I mean everywhere. Mr. Hamster had seemingly disappeared. Then after a few days, we noticed a foul odor in the house. We followed the scent and unfortunately found Mr. Hamster. He had expired. That's a bit of a parable concerning sin. Sin, too, emits an odor that's impossible to cover up. Just like the hamster was dead for a while and then the stench told the truth about his condition, it can be concealed for a while, but eventually the odor will lead to the source. There are always consequences to sin, and I mean always. In Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, there's a famous line that has been quoted time and time again. Verse 23 says, But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord. Now here's the line. And be sure your sin will find you out. God is not ignorant or blind, and whenever we live in sin, we treat God as if he is stupid, as if somehow we're going to get away with this. No, the text says to be sure. Your sin will find you out. Here's what I want you to remember and do today. Don't go another minute hiding this sin. Come clean so you can experience his cleansing, his love, and his forgiveness. He wants to deliver you and cause you to live in the light of freedom and joy. So let's get rid of the sin and start living the way God intended for us to live. Join Crawford Lawrence tomorrow for another Legacy Moment. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. Hello, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being here today. Uh, guess what? StacyOnTheRight.com, Stacy on the Right on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, I just have to say, it's wonderful to be with you again today. Uh, we have our next guest, Joseph Tartakovsky constitutional lawyer, historian, and author of The Lives of the Constitution, 10 Exceptional Minds That Shaped America's Supreme Law. Joseph, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me on, Stacey. So let's talk about this. This is your new book, um, and you're, you're talking about, the, these, are, these are the people that have written the Federalist Papers and the, the, all of the documents that come together to form the body of um, of work that we take our laws and our justice system from. Yeah, that's right. And that's well put. It's, 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 a, it's a history of the Constitution. It's a story of the American people's life under the written, con- a written Constitution, which we've done longer than any people on Earth. And the, the only way I could think of to approach such an epic story was to pick people at various junctures in our history and follow them through their adventures in life and see what sort of lessons they have to teach us about overcoming the constitutional struggles that I find perpetually recur in our history. And so are there any constitutional crises that we are, or crises that we are currently facing that you feel like um, your book speaks to as well? I think that we're in ways we're sort of in a perpetual constitutional crisis or we certainly feel that way, and that, that too is part of our constitutional culture. 
I mean, huh. it, it, it comes up again and again, the scope of free speech or the, the, the limits that are imposed with the state with respect to religion, as we saw in the Masterpiece Cake Shop, the, 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 the way the power over immigration and whether the balance of power is with Congress or the president. I mean, this is something that is, we're grappling with today, but was dealt with by Justice Stephen Field, for instance, who is a character in my book who uh, was on the Supreme Court in the second half of the 19th century and uh, wrote some of the most important opinions explaining what our constitutional law says about immigrants or prospective immigrants. So what are, what are the answers to that? When we study what uh, previous uh, individuals have written and, and the historical documents that they put forward, sometimes there's a tendency by modern people to say, yeah, but that was before we had TV and Internet. Yeah, that was before we had, you know, this injustice or that injustice. And therefore, it's not really applicable. We need the evolving Constitution. How do you counter that argument? I would say that the best antidote to that sort of hysteria is a good dose of history. We, we've been through, in different forms, these same clashes. And most of the time, it's been worse, even on the most difficult issues. The, the most, in, the mo- probably the most, dif- the most painful constitutional struggle that we've had in this country has been over race. And one of the figures in my book is a, a woman named Ida Wells Barnett. She was a black woman who was born a slave in Mississippi, was a school teacher in Memphis. Her best friend was lynched. She became the most important anti-lynching crusader in our history. Um, mm-hmm. Moved to Chicago where she uh, campaigned. She was also a suffrage activist. The, 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 the struggle that she had to contend against in her time, when all the forces of society were against her, when women didn't do this, let alone black women, to, 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 to not be grateful for her efforts or to not see how, how, how much we've improved as a nation. What I think, it, it often strikes me as being ungrateful to the, to the past that were cleared for us by others. So we have to keep calm about these things and remember that these stories, these episodes in our history, of which I tried to collect some of the, the, the most interesting and often unknown ones, are sort of like an endless encyclopedia of lessons. But the one thing we know is that the Constitution has been with us, that it, it's, it's the source of our strength and our security and our prosperity. So we have every reason to, to preserve it. Sure. And and so I, I totally agree with you, but what I find is pretty consistently is on the political left. And, you know, this, I'm, I'm speaking to you. I know you're the author and I don't know what your politics are. And so this isn't to insult or to demean, but I find that in engaging with people on the other side of the political aisle, because I am on the right, that there is a lack of respect for the constitution and really a lot of uh, like there, there's a lack of knowledge about it. There's, there seems to be this idea that the only things in the constitution that matter are that at one point blacks were three fifths of one person and it doesn't matter what the reason was or, or why the Constitution was formulated in the way that it was with an eye towards the abolishment of slavery. None of that stuff matters. It just matters that at one point black people were less than a person and also that women couldn't vote when it was passed. And so really you have to throw the whole thing out because those two things were so uh, old and, and not modern and, and really just ridiculous. And so when you get into conversations about what what powers should belong to what branch of government or or what rights we innately have, and even if those rights offend, we still have them, it's kind of hard to have that conversation when the people that you're discussing, not only do they not know what they're talking about, but they really don't respect the Constitution. You know, it seems to me that the story to tell is the, is, is the bright side of the story. So the Constitution did have protections for slavery as a compromise, but it wasn't that all Americans thought that this was a good thing. This was a very controversial thing. There were there were a, a large sector of Americans in the North that thought we ought to scrap the Constitution for precisely that reason. But then we went to war over it and fixed the Constitution. And not all the framers favored these compromises with slavery. So I have two framers in the book, Alexander Hamilton and James Wilson. Neither of them owned slaves. Both of them actively campaigned against slavery in their home states in New York and Pennsylvania. And I have, have the suffrage story. In, the Constitution did not give women the right to vote as originally drafted, which made it the same as every government in the world at the time it was drafted. But the story of 
suffrage is the story of generations of women activists convincing their brothers and fathers and uncles that the vote for women was a matter of justice, and we fixed our Constitution. So whatever ails this country, there's a, there's a way to fix it, and the trend has been towards ever-expanding justice. And so the, the me, the, so long as we do it within the constitutional order, then anything is possible. Hmm, that is a very upbeat view of uh, how we're currently uh, just moving through the just dealing with with all of these different issues. So, what would you say if if someone's thinking about the book? And I have the link here. I'll put it in, on the feeds for the different streams. Um, and the book is for sale on Amazon, so easy to get. You can get it on Kindle, hardcover, and audiobook for Audible users. So available to you in all these different versions. And what would you say to people who are thinking about this book? Is this a good summer read for kids who are off from school, high schoolers, or can younger kids, uh, you know, absorb the information? Where, who did you write the book for? I tried to make it short and fun. It's it's only two hundred twenty pages, which is pretty short as books go. I tried to make it very accessible. It's not it's not like a dense legal book. I tried not to get there's no there's no legal technicalities. It's just. It's just the story of our country, and it's the story of our people, and it's the story of how we have um, we have overcome challenges from um, depression, war, invasion, epidemic, assassination under this Constitution. So I, I hope I hope it makes Americans feel better about what we have. I hope it would make you feel better, Stacey, because. The truth is that there's always been we've always been concerned about the state of our constitution. That is one that's one of the elements of our constitutional culture. Maybe a very important one to have sustained us this long. But these are these are these are ten people. Um, eight of them are Americans. Two of them are Europeans. I have Alexis de Tocqueville and James Bryce. They came from Europe to study our institutions. Then you will learn about. Um, I hope things you didn't know about our constitution. Fascinating little episodes. And um, I hope people will feel that we have an immense deal to be proud of in this country, whatever your political views and however um, down anyone feels in the moment. Well, I appreciate that encouragement. And the most encouraging part that you said is that I can get through it quickly because, you know, the list (laughs) of books that you have over the summer, it's always like, you're so hopeful in May. You're like, oh, it's the summer. I'm going to get into some books. And then as the summer goes on, you're like, oh, I'm falling behind. And I have even more books than before that I want to try to read. So 220 pages is totally doable. That is that is a nice length for a book, especially for the summer. And as much information as it sounds like I can get out of it. And I love learning about the Constitution. So uh, thank you very much for coming on today and for writing this very important book. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to being encouraged about the state of our Constitution. <laughs> Yeah, don't get don't get down. Don't get down with uh, the lessons are at hand. Perfect. Well, thank you, Joseph Tartakovsky, constitutional lawyer and historian and author of The Lives of the Constitution, 10 Exceptional Minds That Shaped America's Supreme Law. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. All right. So we I, you know, I love it when we have authors come on. But it's a two-edged sword because when they do join us and their book sounds really good and interesting, I can't tell you guys how many times. Over the break after the interview, I'm like, I hit the the button and I buy the book and then it comes. And the, what's what's really interesting about it is the kids read so much over the summer that they will read the book. I'll, I'll be like, look, I got this book. You know, uh, the the one that I remember it happening with is Senator Mike Lee. Remember, he wrote a book and he came on the show last summer. The book came to the house. I was like, kids, everybody read this book. They read it and I barely tucked into it before they were like, so... That book that you, uh, so Senator Mike Lee, we read that book and they had a really interesting discussion over the dinner table and I had to sit there and just kind of listen in because I hadn't finished the book. They beat me to the punch and then had the little discussion. So I don't want this to happen with this book, so I'll definitely read it first before I pass it on to the kids. But um, I love it when we have someone on who, this, this really isn't about what side of the aisle you're on politically. It's an encouraging book about uh, how how our constitution was formed and the people who contributed to that. And we often forget about how weighty an issue it was for them forming the constitution. They took it very seriously and they knew that they were doing something that was unique and different and bold. 
and they wondered if it would stand the test of time. And so we're the longest running experiment of our type with our constitution and our liberties. And it is really fantastic to uh, learn more about it. So great to have him on the show. So it's, uh, we have a little bit, little bit more time in this segment. And if you'd like to call in to weigh in on some of the subjects we've had today, love to chat with you. 866-963-2037. 866-963-2037. So we've also had, um, as a part of what's going on, um, a lot of discussion surrounding, uh, you know, it's not just the immigration issue. It's the big deal with uh, James Comey. So the announcement this morning, first thing in my email box I saw was that James Comey is now under investigation for his handling of the Clinton email affair. And part and parcel to that is the fact that he used a Gmail account while he was the director of the FBI. And so there's a lot going on. Uh, what I find so fascinating about it is that there has to be that he knew that this was coming down the pipeline. And that is why we saw him all of a sudden, he created a Twitter account. He started tweeting on a regular basis. He released the book. He did the book tour. It was as if there was a fire burning under him that he had to get it done before a certain point in time. Now we see why. Um, I, I, I just, it's fascinating. Um, so we, we have that to look forward to. And I'm not saying that because I'm happy or sad that James Comey is being investigated. I, that's, that's not my position. I hate to see people in public life, especially government officials, investigated and then found to have done wrong things. I prefer to see our government officials, career politicians, elected members serve with honor and dignity and not be investigated. But it's clear that something has gone horribly wrong here. And the IG report by Mr. Horowitz is only the tip of the iceberg. So, yeah, this morning that was the announcement that uh, James Comey is under investigation. And then you have President Trump speaking uh, to a group this morning, um, NFIB. Now, goodness knows, who, who knows what NFIB stands for? I saw it in my uh, email box, national something something or other business. Well, we'll just have to check it out in a second. Um, Donald Trump told a group of business leaders on Tuesday that the news media is actually helping the smugglers. Now, this is, the, this is his wheelhouse. I have to admit, some of the stuff... Like, so some of the tweets, some of the off the cuff, you know, straight up candid comments for President Trump don't always land. But when he's on a subject where he's clearly in the right, he tends to have a better success rate with getting out the messaging. And he said some things to this group, NFIB, earlier today. He says that the media outrage is basically nothing. He, he says, you know, we don't want people pouring into our country. We want them to come in through the process, through the legal system. And we want ultimately a merit-based system where people come in based on merit. Keep in mind, those who apply for asylum legally at ports of entry are not prosecuted. The fake news media back there doesn't talk about that. The audience laughed. And then President Trump said they are fake. They are helping. They are helping these smugglers and these traffickers like nobody would believe. They know it. They know exactly what they're doing and it should be stopped. And he received cheering and applause after he said that. He went on. President Trump said people that come in violate the law. They endanger their children in the process. And frankly, they endanger all of our children. You see what happens with MS-13 where your sons and daughters are attacked violently. Kids that never even heard of such a thing are being attacked violently, not with guns, but with knives because it's much more painful. Inconceivable that we even have to talk about MS-13 and other gangs. They attack violently in the most painful way possible. And a bullet is too quick. And we are allowing these people into our country. Uh, not with me. We're taking them out by the thousands. We are taking them out by the thousands. And of course, my producer, who is awesome and extraordinary, uh, National Federation of Independent Businesses, NFIB. We probably could have parsed that out if we just kind of worked our way through it. But it's better to have someone tell me what it is exactly. So thanks, Devin. Um, so National Federation of Independent Businesses. He spoke to them earlier today. And he has a really long day. He has some visiting royalty in town that he's having a meeting with from another country. Uh, so the president is busy. He's, he's on the job. And that's good for us. And I love it when he's in his wheelhouse talking about one of his signature subjects, which is immigration. If he gets it right, the midterms will be good. Yeah. All right. That's the music. We're going to come back with the last segment of the show. Call in 866-963-2037. Keep it here.
This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. When you help others, you're actually helping yourself. As coach of the Indianapolis Colts, I got to know my players well. We became like a family. I heard about their personal family problems. Being a coach was more than winning. It was also about caring for others. I can remember Tony telling me about his players. We thought it a privilege that God gave Tony a platform where he could pray with his players and their families or just sit down and talk with them. Sometimes the players' families needed someone to watch their kids when they went to counseling. We helped with that too. Helping others can be one of the most fulfilling roles in life. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. Abraham Hamilton III. God put us in this world at this time to be salt and light. We don't fold because of the darkness that we're facing. This is not the first time in the world's history that it's gotten dark. God has called you and I to be his ambassadors, even in this dark moment. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on Urban Family Talk. My name is Derek, and because of my obsession with crack cocaine, I've accumulated 10 years of prison time. Well, Teen Challenge showed me how to live drug-free and get my life back on track again. If you know an adult or teenager who's struggling with a chemical addiction, Teen Challenge can help. Call us today at 417-581-2181 or reach us online at teenchallengeusa.com. This is Urban Family Talk. Hi, I'm David Barton, founder of Wall Builders. And I'm Tim Barton, the president of Wall Builders. And we want to let you know about an opportunity this summer for 18 to 25 year olds to come be a part of what we're calling the leadership training program. Actually, the website is wallbuilders.com slash leadership training if you want to see more information. But really what we're doing is trying to help young people combat a lot of the nonsense they're learning in academia, things that are anti-American or anti the Bible. And so we actually dig into the Bible. We dig into American history and the Constitution and education and try to give a really good inoculation against some of the things that they're hearing in academics. Yeah, Tim, you're exactly right. This is such an excellent opportunity to have the apologetics of the things that they'll face in academia and the culture. So if you're from 18 to 25 years old and you want training in this, and by the way, you get to actually hold the handwritten documents of George Washington, John Adams, and other aspects of American history, this is a great opportunity this summer. Two weeks, go to wallbuilders.com slash leadership training. Hope to see you this summer. This is Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. The president, I think, is uh, right in calling out China. They have abused, in many respects, uh, the free trade arrangements that have been built up over generations. Uh, they don't allow American companies to compete in China or international companies as they are allowed to in other countries. Uh, they have, uh, I think, uh, used the trade system to their advantage. So the president, I think, is right in taking action. Mm. So, yeah. I'm glad that the president's taking action on that. It's been so far overdue. Welcome back to the program, everybody. Uh, call lines are open at 866-963-2037. And we are now moving into this whole James T. Comey thing. Uh, the, let's let's kind of talk about it. First, we have this audio. Uh, so apparently, it is now a national consensus that James Comey is a tainted witness, and it will be very difficult to prove a case of anything against President Trump or his associates if proving that case revolves or hinges upon the testimony of Jim Comey. It's number six. So, so let me get your uh, take on, on where this goes. I mean, I had a crackpot theory that, I, that Bob Mueller is doing his work and a lot of it has relied on conversations he's had and questions back and forth he's had with Jim Comey to say nothing earlier on of the research he got from the likes of Peter Stroke. And, and Lisa Page, and of course we know what happened to them. Um, he's going to have to be extra vigilant and extra careful now in, in coming up with his final report and recommendations. And could that potentially mean delaying that report to make sure everything's right, that there's no possible boomerang here? 
I, I think that's a fair concern, Neil. I think if you're Bob Mueller, you have to view Jim Comey at this point as a tainted witness, right? If you say, I'm going to rely on something that Jim Comey told me, I think all Americans by this point are going to take that with multiple grains of salt. So I think if you're Bob Mueller, you got to make sure that in whatever conclusions you're going to draw based on your investigation, that you have independent evidence to support it, and you're not going solely on the word of Jim Comey. Mm. So this is pretty interesting because if you look at um, uh, the way that, that they've originally set this up, James Comey is supposed to be this paragon of virtue, this man who, you know, he is without reproach. He's just, he's someone amazing. And all the rest of us have just got to be really, really excited about the fact that he's available and on the case. And now it turns out he's just a partisan hack like everybody else over there who is in charge of leading investigations at the FBI. Not all 13,000 of the good employees at the FBI, just those at the top who are running these nationally watched investigations. Uh, so it's, it's, I mean, you go back and forth and you think, could this possibly be um, something more? Could, could there be something against President Trump? And I mean, obviously there could be. There could definitely be something against the president, but it doesn't look like it. It doesn't look at all like uh, there's something that they could do um, that would convince us that President Trump colluded with the Russians. So um, I got to turn back to so that there's just this massive amount of coverage that's going on with the illegal aliens who are entering the country and bringing the kids along. And it's just so much, you know, going on with it, the, the news coverage. And so I want to pose a question to you and you're welcome to put it in the comments or, uh, you know, send, send it on or maybe call in tomorrow if you feel like. I got to ask you, do you think it's an accident that the coverage for the illegal alien kids at the border and all of these images is just now reaching the fore and becoming a really big deal. Do you think that is happening by accident or because Peter Strzok was escorted out of the FBI today? The Russia collusion narrative is falling apart. The race card worn down to just a nub. It's like the size of a postage stamp and all of the other avenues for getting everybody ginned up and, and just angry and in a rage so they could vote in the midterms, all that stuff's gone. Even the gun control narrative, the kids, I don't know if you've heard, David Hogg and Gonzalez and all the rest of them are on a bus tour, like a bunch of congressmen campaigning, touring around the country with their gun control push. Apparently they're going to come to St. Louis. Yeah. That's not working. Americans are just going on about their business, working on their projects, doing, you know, doing a little home improvement stuff, doing whatever they need to do. So here's the news from The Washington Times. Peter Strzok, the FBI agent who promised his paramour that he'd make sure Donald Trump lost the election, has been escorted from the FBI building. So CNN reporter Laura Jarrett says that FBI agent Peter Strzok was escorted out of the building. He's still employed, but he's been stationed in human resources since dismissal from the Mueller team. Now, Aton Goldman is Mr. Strzok's lawyer. He, they reached out to him to check, and he confirmed in a statement that his client was escorted from the building as a part of the ongoing examination process. According to the reporter from CNN, Strzok is still employed by the FBI, although he's been demoted to a desk job in human resources since he was dismissed by the special counsel team. Yeah, unless I hear fired, pension impacted, that type of stuff, I don't want to hear it. Like, I, I do not want to hear anything. Um, and so what's happening with Comey? Because you know he can't stay off Twitter. Just like Hillary Clinton had to tweet something out about but my emails. She just cannot sit home and rock grandbabies and chill out. Like, there can't be anything for her to do besides get on Twitter and make even more horrible it just it just lowers her standing, just makes her look not just petty, but completely tone deaf. So former FBI director James Comey is out again. 
<sighs> so Kyle Cheney tweeted out, IG found that on numerous occasions, Comey used a personal Gmail account. Hillary Clinton tweeted, but my emails. Remember that? We covered that on the show. So then you've got uh, Comey in Berlin, Germany. He's there on, at an event today. The moderator of the event, Holger Stark, asked Comey if he would apologize to Clinton after the Department of Justice IG report revealed that he used his personal email to conduct FBI business. The moderator referenced the, the tweet from Clinton. FBI, former FBI Director Comey said, no, and here's why. Again, I don't want to criticize her, but it shows me that even at this late date, she doesn't understand what the investigation in her case was about. It's not about her use of the personal email system, and she didn't get that during the investigation. That's not what it was about. It was about communicating about classified topics on that system. Guess what they're investigating about Comey? Do you remember the memos that he said he would rush out of his meetings with President Trump? He'd rush to his car and get his laptop out and he'd sit outside the White House and he'd create a memo about what was discussed between him and the president. They're investigating whether or not he disseminated classified information by storing those, those memos about his discussions with the president on his laptop at his home, unsecured, and then communicating those memos. Remember, he sent them over to his friend, the lawyer at Columbia University, who then forwarded them over to, was it the Washington Post? You know, so he sent them to a newspaper, and that's how we got the special counsel. That's also what they're investigating about Comey. So he seems to understand why an investigation was needed into Hillary Clinton. I wonder, does he feel the same justification is being levied against him because they're investigating him as well? Interesting. Uh, so you've also got Eric Prince over the Daily Beast there reporting that he is saying he cooperated with the special counsel Mueller. He's a Trump world insider. He worked for China. He worked with Russia. He also had plans for business interests in Afghanistan. And he's the founder of private security company Blackwater. He's been cooperating with the special counsel. I don't know why this would be frightening to Donald Trump. People act as if it's such a revelation that he spoke voluntarily to Congress and also cooperated with the special counsel. I don't see why that's such a big deal. I mean, wouldn't you cooperate if you hadn't done anything wrong? If you, if you just had business interests internationally and you were doing work and you also helped the Trump campaign and they reached out to you and said, come in and talk to us about your work, why wouldn't you go in? Why, why does there have to be this whole assumption that every person who's ever been affiliated with Donald Trump's companies or his campaign, that they somehow have something to hide and if they're cooperating, it's that they're spilling the beans about wrong things they've been doing. Maybe they just went in, maybe Eric Prince just went in to talk and said, hey, yeah, I met with this one, I met with that one, I did this, I did that. You know, no big. It doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. I know they want it to be, but it seems like it's not really. So I want to push off at the end of the show right now talking about what the president has most recent promises that he's making about the immigration issue. Um, he has tweeted out that we must always arrest people coming into the country illegally. Of the 12,000 children, 10,000 are being sent by their parents on a very dangerous trip. Only 2,000 of those kids are with their parents, and many of whom tried to enter the country illegally on numerous occasions. So these are repeat offenders. This is not a case of a bunch of people who they're just innocent and they show up at the border and they don't know the way of the system. These are people who've entered illegally before and they come back with kids because they think that's the way they can get to stay. He then went on to tweet that Democrats are the problem. They don't care about crime. They don't care about how bad the people are who are coming in. They don't care about MS-13. He says they can't win on their terrible policies. 
So they view these people as potential voters. I mean, that is some really hardcore truth that he's tweeting out there. And the question is, why would you support that? Why would anybody align themselves with a group of people who are willing to see children trafficked into the country just for votes? So he had a longer series of tweets on immigration. He touched on Germany's immigration problems. And Jeff Sessions, who has come under fire for his comparisons to the Bible, which I'm going to get to, uh, we'll actually dig into that in a segment tomorrow on the show about how the Bible does discuss immigration. And there's a Bible verse where people are constantly talking about respecting the stranger in your land. But what people don't do is they don't look at the... So when you're looking at the Bible and you're reading a text and you're reading it in our you know, New International Version or something like that, they're using modern language so it's easier for us to understand. But if you want to understand the meaning behind any Bible verse, you have to get your concordance out and then you have to really, if you're going to go all the way in, you have to read the Hebrew and the Greek. And that doesn't mean you're reading actual Hebrew and Greek, but you're looking for the meanings of the words. Words that we take to mean one thing nowadays had a distinct meaning during the biblical era when the Bible was written. So when they say respect the foreigner in your land, you look at the Hebrew, they're talking about a legal immigrant. So someone who's in the country legally, you're to respect them. You're not, you're not supposed to treat them badly because they're immigrating into your country legally. There's nothing in the Bible about respecting illegal immigrants or lawbreakers. And you have to inherently know that because the Bible is that, first of all, it's God's blueprint, his roadmap, his love letter to us. It's the way that we know how we're to govern ourselves and to live. Why would a holy God who wants us to obey the law and to live according to the law advocate for us to break the law? Why would he want us to do that? I'm not talking about law that goes against God's word, the way we advocate against abortion. Talking about lawful things that don't in any way fly in the face of what the Bible says, which is that we're to have borders. That's where the concept of borders comes from, from the Bible. The concept of nationalities, the concept of national sovereignty, these things are all in the Bible. So does that mean that I'm advocating for the abuse of children or, you know, no, I'm not. And people who take those positions and those stances and try to make the argument about certain Americans being horrible because they want to support the law are really people who don't respect the rule of law and they're not very knowledgeable about what the Bible says. So I'll give you those specific verses and we'll go over that in a little more detail tomorrow. But for now, we're up against it. And I want to give you guys do find StaceyOnTheRight.com. Follow on Twitter and Instagram if you can, if you're on those social media sites. And thank you so much to everyone uh, on Facebook who's been sharing the show. Um, I really appreciate the shares. I love it when I see the numbers are, are really good on how many people have been exposed to the show online. It's great. And I appreciate it. All right. God bless. Thanks for being here today. Be back with more tomorrow. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of Urban Family Talk, Urban Family Communications, or American Family Association.